0: And as you're being seated, I know Isaiah just mentioned this, but if any of you have a chair next to you, would you raise your hand if there's an open seat beside you? Okay, so we still have plenty of seats, so keep your hands up for a second. If any of you are lurking on the sidelines and you need a chair, there are some seats available so you can still find a spot. Don't feel like you have to stand. I am so happy to see all of you here today. (laughs) My name is Chris Jackson, and about a year ago, Don Dirks and I started talking about the possibility of merging our two congregations together into one new church. I was the pastor of Grace Church in Laverne, Don was the pastor of Baseline Community Church in Claremont, and we just started imagining what the potential could possibly be If we brought the two churches together and and tried to create something that that would be new and fresh and, and engaging. And about six months ago, the leadership teams from both churches commissioned a joint feasibility team to do some of the heavy lifting to see if a merge like this would indeed be first viable, if it could even happen, and then if it might be something that would honor God and could actually strengthen the congregations and make a greater, possibly, impact in the community around us, a lot of people were involved with this merge. We did not enter into this lightly or casually or quickly. There were staff members and board members and ministry leaders and influencers and lots of people that worked very hard to make sure this could be a legitimate and healthy thing. Seriously though, I wanna thank the feasibility team and and we'll do a whole roll call of thank yous here over the upcoming weeks. We've had people that have worked so hard. But, But thank you for bringing us to this historic moment. A couple of months ago, Cassandra Vanna, our children's pastor, mentioned in a staff meeting that it's not often in life when we're able to recognize an historic moment while we're in it. Well, we're in one today. Our two churches have a combined history of more than 160 years of serving the cities between the 210 and the 10 freeways. And for us to come together to form a new era of worship and devotion and service is is significant. Uh, When when Jessica and I were young Bible college students and and then young newlyweds, one of our favorite preachers was an old man named Dr. Seville Phillips. And we, we heard him say on multiple occasions that there are churches that only exist today as a twinkle in God's eye. He would say, there are movements that only exist as a dream in God's heart. And then he would look at us young, eager Bible students, and he would ask, will you be the ones to start those churches or give birth to those dreams? And listen, today, as we're mildly sweaty and in the humidity under the tent, we are saying a gigantic collective yes to Dr. Phillips' words. We have no idea how many lives will be strengthened and encouraged and, and maybe even rescued as a result of what happens here in this new church. It's going to be an honor to walk into that with all of you. I've been the pastor of Grace Church for 15 years. In fact, today, this moment is the 15th anniversary of when I became the pastor of Grace Church and started my role. I met, I met Pastor Don shortly after that. We've been friends for about 12 years um, But over the years at Grace, one of my favorite things to say, and I got to say it almost every Sunday, was when we started our services and I was able to greet the congregation and I was able to say, Welcome to Grace. And I loved that greeting because it always had a twofold aspect to it. On on the one hand, it was just, Welcome to our church. I, I hope you love it. I hope you feel seen. I hope you feel loved. But on the other hand, there was a deeper statement behind that. And we were saying, welcome to the boundless, extravagant, life-altering, karma-interrupting grace of God. And I'm so happy to be in a church today called Hope. So that Isaiah or Donna or Amanda or Don or whoever's up front can welcome everyone and still have that twofold greeting, welcome to our church, And welcome to the quickening, breath-restoring hope that's available in Jesus Christ. And and by the way, the the name is Hope. It's not Hope City. So I'm hearing a lot of people say Hope City. The city church part of our name, it's the identifier. You know, some churches are fellowship church or community church or Bible church. I landed on city church because even though we're in a scenic setting right now, if I were to hush for a moment. We would hear the roar of the freeway. And with, I could almost throw a rock and hit city after city after city of people that we are passionate to reach and strengthen and bless. But um, names take a while to grow on you, so give it some time and, and let it soak into your soul. But um, it's been said three times already, but welcome to hope. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're here. If, if you have your Bibles with you today... And if not, we'll have two giant Bibles on the screens here. But if you have your Bibles, open them up with me, if you would, to the book of Mark, chapter 14. Last spring, we we did a trial run together to see if we liked each other. And we we did our Easter services together. We did a Good Friday service in the sanctuary, uh, Easter sunrise over by the cross. And we did Easter Sunday here in this tent. And on that morning, we concluded a teaching series that Baseline had been doing on the subject garden to garden. And Baseline had been studying some of the powerful moments in Scripture that happened in gardens, the the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane, the garden where the Lord's tomb was located. And in this kickoff service together, I want to go back to that series. And I want us to think about a crisis moment in Jesus' life on the night of his betrayal and his arrest, before his crucifixion, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane under so much distress that he began literally sweating drops of blood. And I want us to look at this passage together because inside this text, there's an image, a picture, a vision, if you will, of who we are called to be as a church community. So if you're in Mark chapter 14, we'll start reading together, or I'll read to you and you follow along in verse 32. The scripture says, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And remember with me that Gethsemane means oil or wine press. Gethsemane was the place where grapes were crushed into new wine or where olives were pressed into oil. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with them, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. And in the original Greek language, that phrase means to be grieved all around. So it means everywhere I look right now, it's grief. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Have you ever had a moment in your life when you felt so much sorrow, you could have said, I think my grief might kill me. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said. Dad, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, this is Mark's version of what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. But over in Luke's version, when Luke, the physician, told his accounting from his research about what happened on that night, he added a couple of details that would have been especially fascinating for a doctor. So let me read to you what Luke added in this moment. In Luke chapter 22, verse 43, at that moment, an angel from heaven appeared to Jesus and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This was the most intense moment in Jesus' entire life. The pressure and the stress of what he was about to experience through a betrayal and arrest, five trials, beatings, crucifixion, the weight of it stirred up so much anxiety in the Lord that he literally began sweating drops of blood. And that was intriguing to Luke, the doctor, because that's an actual medical condition. It's very rare. It will probably never happen to you. But, 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 but it's a medical condition that today we call hematohydrosis. It only occurs in the severest moments of stress, like when a soldier is facing their impending death. It's very rare. It's extremely painful. But but I want you to look at what happened right before he began sweating drops of blood, before the pressure of the moment started to literally squish the life out of Jesus. It says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had moments in your life when when you were so overwhelmed, you don't know which way was up, and then heaven got close to you? Have you ever been so distressed that you you would say, I think my grief might take me out right now, and then all of a sudden, God touched you. And all of a sudden, everything was different. Um, That has happened to me more times than I can count. I've been, been convinced I was about to go over, but then suddenly... God touched me and nothing changed around me, but everything changed in me. I I get so sad and I get so concerned when I watch people pray for things to happen out there and then the thing doesn't happen. So they get mad at God and they conclude that prayer doesn't work. Prayer always works. Even if it's not changing anything out there, it always changes things in here. And, and that happened for Jesus. He had asked his disciples to pray for him. If we read the whole story, we would, we would remember that the disciples actually fell asleep. So they, they, they fell down on the job. But before they conked out, they prayed. And God answered the prayer. And if you can picture it in your mind, what a moment where the Lord is in agony praying for the world, which by the way, would include you and me and and he's carrying the weight of the world and all of a sudden this angel appears and puts its hands on the lord's shoulders and this angel shows up in this canopy of strength just circles around jesus i don't know if it glowed i don't know what it looked like or if he even saw anything but suddenly there's an angel pumping strength into jesus it's so beautiful it's so awesome that it makes what comes next shocking Because it's after the angel shows up, it's after the angel is pumping strength into the Lord that it says, being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. How how does that work? How could those two moments sit side by side at the same spot? I mean, wouldn't you think that if an angel was touching you and strengthening you, you would stop sweating blood? Wouldn't you think that if heaven got close enough to be hovering all around you, your life would stop being pressed out of you? But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes God is strengthening us to go through whatever it is that we're facing. Theologians believe that redemption began not on the cross, but in the garden with the first shed drops of Jesus' blood. And after this moment of the angel strengthening him, even when he's literally weeping and sweating blood, he never again prays for the cup to be taken away. He drank the cup. He conquered the cup. See, when the crush, when the press of Gethsemane was forcing the life out of Jesus, your life was being ransomed. When the capillaries were bursting along Jesus' forehead and along his temples, so that blood was pouring into his eyes, your forgiveness and my peace and our restoration was being purchased. This wasn't the first time, by the way, that Jesus was strengthened by angels. Do you remember the beginning of his ministry? So so, uh, at the beginning of his ministry, Luke's telling us about the angel, but in Mark chapter one, Peter tells a story uh, Peter, by the way, is the one who dictated that gospel to Mark. Mark was Peter's scribe. And so Peter, through Mark, talks about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. After John the Baptist baptized him, God the Father affirmed him, and the Holy Spirit came upon him. Something amazing happens. Let me read it to you. In Mark chapter 1, verse 9, it says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. A voice came from heaven and said, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And then it says, at once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. And I think this is one of my favorite moments. This tells us so much about Jesus. The very first thing he did after his baptism and his affirmation and his anointing and his commissioning, the first thing the Lord did was to go straight after Satan from the opening bell. I love that. I love that there's not a few verses where Jesus is stretching out. We don't have any passages where the Lord's kind of working out the hamstrings and doing a few practice moves or send me a couple junior demons to warm up on. He went right after the strong man from the opening bell. He went right after the adversary of your soul from the opening bell. And I love this picture because what the first Adam failed to do in a garden when Adam yielded to Satan's temptation in the garden of Eden, the Lord did do the last Adam did in the wilderness. He took the full brunt of what Satan could bring at him and defeated the moment. And at that moment, angels appeared to him and strengthened him. And inside that picture, and here's the message today, of the son of God, son of man, being strengthened by angels is a picture of what you and I are called to be in this new church. God is calling this church, Hope, to be his angels, to be his ministers, to be his messengers that aren't afraid of the sight of blood, that are able to get close enough to a staggered, bewildered, sometimes uh, struggling humanity and pour strength into their soul. We all need those angels, and God is calling us to be those angels. So we're going to launch this new church with a teaching series that I'm actually starting right now called City of Angels. And no, old people, this is not the Nicolas Cage, Meg Ryan movie. If that came into your thinking, decent soundtrack, horrendous movie. So it has nothing to do with that. Um, the City of Angels. How many of you are from California? Okay. How many, so, how many of you were originally born here? One more time. So, I, I was born in San Gabriel. Jessica was born in La Jolla, but our families moved when we were really small. How many of you were born and raised your whole life in California? Okay. So, both of our churches, uh, Grace in Laverne and Baseline in Claremont, were in Los Angeles County. What's, what's LA's nickname? Yeah, City of Angels. Which, by the way, when you look into it, it's one of the most controversial, um, disputed, and, and touchy nicknames of any city in our country. But, you know, Los Angeles from Spanish, of course, is the angels. And what if it were true? What if Laverne and Claremont and Montclair and Upland and L.A. proper were filled with people who could best be described as angels? We call people angels, don't we? In fact, I took a picture of a couple this last week. Can I show you? <laughs> can you look up here? This is a picture of Jessica with our little grandson, Malachi Jonathan monsi Baez. So I mean, what else can you say? I mean, angels. <laughs> Let me show you just one more. The, this next one, this is the same, the same time. This was me with him. I, he, his parents put him in a little gold chain, so I, just, I put my chain on. He, he's 16 months and I just love this because he just looks like my pal with his arm around my neck. But um, um, Urban Dictionary, and we all know that's a scholarly, <laughs> peer-reviewed source. Urban Dictionary defines an angel this way. An angel is a beautiful person with a heart of pure gold, a protective soul with an urgency to watch over what is theirs, a very understanding, powerful, yet gentle human being a rare gem. That's you. And that's who we're going to be. Uh, do you remember just one other interesting detail from the Gethsemane story? So we've heard from Mark and Luke, but when the apostle John told the story years later, he remembered a detail that didn't get into the other accounts. And it's really fascinating. Let me, let me end with this. Over in John 18 verse 2, After Judas Iscariot shows up to betray the Lord and there's a contingent of guards and soldiers with him, this happened. In John 18, 2, it says, now Judas who betrayed him knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus knowing all that was going to happen to him, and by the way, with blood streaming into his eyes in that moment, went out to them and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And that phrase means to be flattened on your back. All he said was, I am he, and enough power shot out of him to flatten a whole group of soldiers. And you know what I love? I love that this, the text never tells us when they stood up again. <laughs> the Lord might have had to help them up so they could arrest him. So what was that? Was that Jesus unveiling some of his son of God's superpower Or do you think it was the residue of the angel that was still pulsing through him? And there was still so much of the power and the glory of the strength of heaven on him that when he said, I am he, they couldn't even stand in front of it. Um, I've had angels put their hands on me before. A lot of times they were invisible. (laughs) I never saw them. Um, But I've also had times where they looked a lot like you. You. And I've had people put their hands on my life and stand around me and pray for me until I could get back on my feet again. And I've had a whole company of angels carry me through difficult times and carry my family through tough moments until something beyond us filled us. And I tell you what, I would love to be a part of that church. I'd love to be in a church like that. What's hope like? (laughs) I don't know, man. But there's something there, that there's so much Holy Spirit power there. There's so many loving, non-judging, authentic, strong, faith-filled people that you can't help but stand a little taller when you're there. You you can't help but believe that the future can still be better than the past. You can't help but start to believe that God's plans for you are still good. I I would love to be a part of that church. Am I painting the right picture today of what we're called to do? Does something resonate in you when you picture an angel strengthening a human until the human becomes an angel that strengthens another human? That's what we're called to. This church is going to strengthen heartbroken people and agnostic people and young people and addicted people and married people and single people and people who know where they're headed and people who have no clue how they're going to get through life. We're going to do that together. When Amber and Madeline were really small, uh, Jessica and I, we tried to do what every parent does. We were, the, we were helicopter parents. We hovered. We tried to be the ever-present guardian angel to keep them from any issue or harm or problem. But now that they're older, now that they're gone uh, and have their own churches, now we spend a lot of time praying that there would be angels in those churches. We spend a lot of time praying that there would be angels stationed along the path. And listen, if if someone from San Diego, or Beijing, China, or Boise, Idaho, has a loved one in this church, I hope that we are the angels that they're praying for. We want to see our cities flooded with God's messengers, God's servants, God's ministers, who are not just living day by day, but are looking to see where God is at work and how we can intersect with that work and partner with that work in the world. If we can live that way, I can't guarantee that you won't sweat blood. I can't guarantee that the life won't get smashed out of you. But I can guarantee that it will be good. And that incredible good will come from it.